seconds flat. Give me up. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Sammy's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Blake Zero. Oh, my God. Hello again, friends. Welcome to Mile 99 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Coming to you from the Cleveland Park studio. World headquarters. That is right. <laughs> and that friendly voice you hear is Mr. Phil Gregory. Dr. Phil, he's known in some circles. That's who our mother-in-law calls me. <laughs> it is great to have you here, Phil. Great friend of mine. Welcome in, bud. Uh, I'm glad to be here. 99 yeah. miles. That's a long ways. We have come a long way. Mile 99. Yes, sir. If you are local and looking for someone to run with where it's almost always good weather... Phil Gregory is your man. We had a spring where we ran together a lot, and it was like sunny and crisp. Oh, it was beautiful. From April through, what, mid Yeah, Yes, it was unbelievable. It was perfect. So my good luck charm for That's good right. running weather. Phil is a physical therapist who is going to take us through a lot of tips to help us as runners on all the things that we often know we should do but <laughs> struggle to do. As well as some advice from a, from a professional to help us avoid injury as much as possible, smarter training. So Phil's a great resource that we're going to dive into all that stuff with here shortly. Before we do that, Phil, last weekend was the Spinks Run Fest here locally. It was a fast one. It was. It was a very was competitive competition. marathon, yeah. uh, what some have called the seventh major. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do want to give some love to a few friends of the program who had big races. They had some good days. First of all, run-in friends and employees, our ladies, Jamie, champion, and Amy, both finished the marathon full distance this weekend with great races. My guy Josh, who I mentioned last weekend, who I met at the expo, it looked like he was right on his goal. Nice. I, I believe Josh... Email me, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you said 250-ish, low 250s, and you were at like 252, so... Congrats to him. Yeah, stellar That's performance. Day. That's a great day. That last mile uphill to the baseball stadium <laughs> had to feel incredibly long. That hill gets steeper when you're tired. <laughs> it does. When you are 25 miles in and you have to go up that hill, that is no fun. Maybe my favorite story from the day is an old friend of ours, Marlon Houts. Marlon has been a runner for years who finally trained for his first marathon. He's been excited. He's been nervous. It's been a roller coaster. And I've loved sharing emails, talking with Marlon in person about his goals for this race. And what made the day so special was Marlon finished. He was right around his goal. He finished in about four hours and 20 minutes. He immediately, after finishing, with his medal on, even before going home and getting his meal and getting his shower and kicking the feet up, came to run in and opened that door and had just the biggest smile on his face. That's fantastic. Yeah, That's what's beautiful about the sport. You hit it, Phil. That is the joy We've shared yeah. so many of those great runs, right? To see our friends have tremendous races and to conquer that obstacle of 26 plus miles, four plus hours of running, and to do it with just a smile on his face the whole way. He sent me some pictures too after oh, the race, nice. and uh, it was him up near uh, up near Traveler's Rest, that part of the the race, and then him post run and smiling, enjoying that opportunity, executed the race strategy well. And, it's uh, tough to do the first time. So difficult the first time, right? Because or the fifth or the tenth. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about That's that right. too, Phil. <laughs> you're you're learning so much every time you go out. For him to execute the first time, Jamie's another example. Female champion. It was her first one too, right? It was her first one right out of college. Huge Boston qualifier. She said to, to me today, I'm worried, am I going to get in? I said, oh, you are way under that oh, number. She crushed that number. Yeah, so in, incredible performances. I know she's already making plans to head up there next spring. 
Really nice weather, too, this past weekend for Spinx, so that was great. This coming weekend, we mentioned it on the last episode, New York City Marathon is coming up. I gave a brief preview. I'd like to add that the TV coverage on ESPN2 will begin at 8.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. That's Eastern Time. I believe pre-race coverage on the ESPN app, if you get that, starts at 7 o'clock, and that's when the local ABC7 coverage begins as well, which I think you can tap into on their website. And then there will be some condensed replays, two-hour formats, uh, depending on where you're listening from. Your local ABC may be carrying that in the afternoon, and ESPN2 will bring it back again in the evening. So there is no excuse <laughs> for missing one of the great races of the year. Uh, Phil, I know you'll be tuned in. I will. As a big race fan. Who are you excited to see running through the five boroughs this Ooh, weekend? That's a good question. I think on the ladies side, probably Alephine. Yeah. To see if she can redeem, uh, I think, what was a pretty disappointing Olympic performance for her. But after coming off having the kid, I guess, what yeah. earlier this year, that is still... An awesome year, so excited to see what she can do. On the guy's side, probably Ben True as he makes his debut. Yeah. I mean, he, he's got some wheels on the track, and it has been fun to follow his career. But to see what he does uh, as he steps up in distance, I think yeah. that'll be interesting to see him mix it up. Um, and probably uh, probably Jared Ward as well. You know, he, he was, I'm sure, disappointed in missing out on the uh, Olympics. He's looking to mix it up at the front, so it'll be interesting to see him uh, throw some punches in there with everybody else rather than trying to run an even split. So see what see what he can do. Yeah, it should be a, a wonderful morning. The, the early weather looks good. I saw mid-40s with very light winds. It's almost perfect yeah. for marathoning. That's so, great weather for that. Yeah, yeah. So that should be great. Tune in Sunday morning, and then we will recap some of that next time here. Phil... As a off-the-cuff thought exercise, this is the end of a condensed marathon major season. Okay. We didn't get Tokyo, but we got the other five right. all this fall. So we saw in not much more than a month, London and Berlin in Europe, mm -hmm. plus Chicago, Boston, and now New York here. You add Tokyo to the mix. There's your six majors. Oops. Let's rank those in order. Okay. Those are all incredible races, incredible prestige. I would love to be a part of any of them. Which you would like to do most? Ooh, I'll let you go preference. first, okay. and then I will respond with my ranking, which I, I've i had this question on my mind to ask you, but I've not formulated my own <laughs> ranking, so I'm going to put you on the spot and give myself time to think. Let's see. Uh, I think at the top definitely has to be Boston. Mm. Um, you know, As the everyman's Olympics, that's something that I have a lot of friends and personally kind of chased so far unsuccessfully but you're getting there though we're, we're making closer. progress that's right no but that's got to be the the first one and just the history of what the 125th one this year yeah um no i think that's got to be number one i'm gonna i'm gonna go boston number one as well okay. uh, having been there a number of times it's still incredibly special you're right the history is unparalleled uh i hope to do it Many more times if I'm yeah. able. So I will, I'll go with you, Boston number one. Back okay. to you for number two, Phil. So number two is probably Berlin. Okay. Um, I think it'd be interesting just from the travel perspective, but also it's a fast course. Yeah. You know, it's flat and it looks like a, a beautiful course, but I think more just for the experience to travel over there and, and race an international one. We'll put, we'll put Berlin number two. So I, for a long time, I've had Berlin probably as my second, uh, and it's one I definitely want to do as well, having not done it. I have now, though, within just recent weeks, I think, I recently read a Sebastian Coe, Steve Ovet okay. kind of rivalry okay. biography, and I followed that up by bumping London up to my number two Ooh, now. I want to do an equally fast course, I think. Uh-huh. It adds a spring marathon to the mix, and that's part yeah. of the reason. It's typically a spring, and there's so many good fall options. So I'm going to move it up a little bit because I think I want to travel around the UK as much as I want to travel around Germany okay. and Central and Western Europe. You, you don't seem convinced, but you no, know what? It's my no. list, Phil. It's, you and do so what you want. London is second for me, Berlin for you. What's number three? Number three, Chicago. 
Oh, Chicago. Um, again, because it's a fast course. Yeah. Um, you got the Oprah effect where, you know, <laughs> she, she brought in the second running boom. Yeah, we got for the Working Man's Olympics, we got the Boston qualifier. And then for kind of the other benchmark is can you beat Oprah's time for the marathon? So we're going to put Chicago number three. I think for my next project in Pace Magazine, I might write an article on the parallels between Frank Shorter and Oprah Winfrey Uh, and how they have turned out people to be marathoners. That's a book. That's not a magazine article. (laughs) That's so true. That, That case study needs more time. Interesting. I noticed a trend here you like the fast courses yeah and there's a lot of fa- potentially at least fast courses yes. and the marathon majors number three i'll go to berlin now okay uh, just slightly edged out by london i have never been uh, across the pond i believe some people say that i yeah, don't, I I don't, don't know. know but to the to the european continent <laughs> so i'll go berlin three you're right incredible course what i like about that as an aside, is that's a fall race that you could time up with Munich Oktoberfest. And I don't drink, yeah. but I could get pretty deep into some brats and maybe some pretzels and okay. that kind of action. It's good to refuel. Uh, that's right. So post-race, <laughs> hammer that. So I'm going to I'm gonna go number three, Berlin. Okay, back okay. to you. So number four will go New York. Yeah. Because it's a it's a race, you know. It's not one of these flat course time trials. Um, you know, there's hills, there's tons of bridges, there's the wind, but also that that crowd effect has an appeal. Yeah. Um, I think we'll put we'll put New York at number four. I'll do that as well. You're right. Great crowd. New York, and this is one of my issues with the majors. Some of the big cities can get a little overwhelming. Like I'll run a marathon anywhere. You yeah. and I could go yeah. out right now. It is. Eight in the evening and put in 26 somewhere and I would enjoy it, right? But great crowd. I do like the Central Park finish. Uh, There's even though less history there than, say, Boston, some really great history. Like, it's tough to beat Salazar's world best time. Followed after that by Rod Dixon and the comeback victory in 83. Maybe my favorite race of all time. Shalane a few years ago. Uh, oh, that I show that replay to my daughter all the time. <laughs> she's only three, so she doesn't know what she's watching. But uh, yes, she's inspired. Thanks for adding that, but that's important. You got to start them early. That's people. right. And I also think it's one of the safest bets. There is no safe bet for good marathon weather among any of these. It might be the best bet though, True. because it's a little later than the other fall races here. Uh, we just saw Chicago, which may often have good weather, had super yes. hot, humid weather this year. Well, it can be windy a little bit there too. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I will go. You're right. The challenge of the bridges acting as really big uphill downhills. Yeah. Can I mentally handle that long, loud? straight when i come into manhattan number four new york city another great race yours for five phil number five we're gonna go tokyo yep um there's the japanese running culture is fascinating those folks love running so i think it'd be cool just to go over there and be a part of that i have that fifth as well Uh, another one gosh it's it's hard to put it next to last in this list but in the overall scheme it's so high because you're right it's the japanese culture of running if you haven't read it the way of the runner gives you a great look inside this fantastic read the way they adore both the ekaden distance relay and the marathon in that culture and these are super bowl type events there yeah i think it would be a lot of fun and again it sets up as potentially a fast course Probably for a lot of us, there's some serious time change issues going there. I imagine that, the jet lag would be a problem. Yeah, you got to figure <laughs> out a way to work that schedule to make it really fast. It's interesting, as an aside, that Tokyo is even the Japanese major, mm-hmm. being a relatively young marathon, and you have a couple really traditionally incredible, well, as to like Fukuoka, right? Which, which historically that has some history. Yeah, uh, Lake Biwa to yeah, add to that, yeah. and yeah, it used to be where did guys like Shorter and Rogers go outside of the United States? It was Fukuoka. It was there. Yeah, that was the champions race, and you had to. Have, you want to talk about Boston standards? That's elite level qualifying standards just to get into that yep. race. But Tokyo as the Japanese major great pick at five what did that leave for you did that leave london number six man i'm disappointed that was my number two well it's the queen's fault if she would have only made the marathon just a little bit shorter 
Those last two miles wouldn't be quite so painful. That is a reference to the Olympic Marathon in London in 1908. Is that right? Or 1912? No, it was the first time they were in London. Uh, So it would be 1908. Yeah. So the first time that they were in London... They moved it to so that the finish yeah, line. Yeah, so the finish could be right in front of the right in the front palace. of the queen. Because yeah. up to that point, the accepted distance was actually just a little bit shorter. Yep. What twenty five? Yeah, miles, it was twenty five ish. Was yeah. was common at the time. The read there, if you want to get more history on that, uh, showdown at Shepherd's Bush. Okay. I, be- I believe is what it's called. That's a wild story of what happened on race day um, in London. And also a great look at like what we did for fueling and nutrition or didn't do <laughs> right. in that era and how we trained. So yeah, if you like the old British marathon history, that's a that's a fun read as well. I put Chicago last Ooh. and uh, you didn't know oh, that no, sponsor. Yeah. That was high on your list. And it's more of just about how much I like all the others. Okay. It's not because I don't like Chicago. Awesome race, too. And again, it plays to be fast. I love some of the history there in particular. Greg Myers' victory mm-hmm. there. Steve Jones setting yeah. a world record there, just running his butt off from the gun. But uh, to me, it sets up that they're, in the fall, there's so many options. The others just draw me in so much more. I would still love to do Chicago. I know Fair people enough. have a yeah. great experience yeah. there. It's a great city. Well, so. and congrats to Shalane to doing all of them this oh, fall, gosh. except and, uh, for Tokyo, which she did in her backyard. But Yeah, right. And all of them impressive. fast. Yeah. yeah. So incredible. Okay. So now that we've gone sufficiently off track with the <laughs> marathon ranking, because it's fun, Phil, let's get to the meat of it here. Yeah. We are going to get into your background as a, a PT. Maybe start by telling us a little bit of uh, your story with your job. Yeah. And then also your running story. So work-wise, I work up at uh, Furman University, which has a really national caliber cross-country team. Used to have a a post-collegiate group there, but do work with just folks that live in the community, but also the athletic department there. Um, But really kind of what we're talking about today is my story – initially of how I got into doing doing physical therapy. You know, I was the, the stereotypical broken high school runner that you know, had a little bit of potential, but was always sidelined with an injury that really more got in the way of training like I wanted to. And kind of as I explored what I wanted to do as a career and, and where my interests were, it was really looking at what factors cause us to get hurt, whether that's, you know, now it's anything orthopedics with what I do, you know, day to day. But originally it was it was running, you know, how how can we keep on the road? How can we keep training? How can we stay consistent without being set back with, with those injuries? Because really, at the end of the day, the folks that perform the best are the ones that are most consistent. So that's kind of just a, a brief overview of where, where I'm at kind of with, with what I do at work and kind of how I got to, got to where, I'm, where I am. And this is why I want to have you here, Phil, because what you're explaining is the the greatest ability is availability. Yes. You have to get to the start line yep. whole. And so many of us face that obstacle, particularly in longer distance racing. Oh, right? absolutely. Well, because we're always trying to, to push the edge. And unfortunately, that means sometimes we go over and yeah. you know, have, have setbacks. And, and that's natural as a distance runner. We, we've mentioned this here before about how driven most of us are. Yeah. And, and you're like that too, Phil. Yeah. But hopefully... Uh, through your experience, there's some wisdom that you've taken into your own running and, and we can apply from your training. Furman, you mentioned their cross program. Yeah. I believe that is nine consecutive now. Uh, For guys and girls. Guys, men yeah. and women. Yep. SoCon, Southern Conference, cross country yep. titles, nine in a row. You've heard some of their athletes here before. Go back in the old episodes, Ryan Adams. Um Coach Robert Gary yeah. has built an absolute dynasty there. Frank Lara, Ali Bukowski, yep. some some of the greats. Yeah. I mean, Frank just ran a sub sixty one minute half marathon in Valencia last weekend. Ah, uh, you are. I knew he was in Spain. I saw his his Strava feed, but I didn't realize that yeah, he was over there racing that. That is. Uh, He's somebody to watch in the next couple of years. Oh, He's, I, he is doing awesome. I don't know the exact number, but that is top 10 all-time American. If you look at uh, how he splits the race and some of his commentary of the way he felt, 
there's some serious room for improvement yeah, still. So, very much and so. just an, an incredible guy who's been on the show with us twice, um, probably two more times than we deserve. <laughs> he's, he's wonderful. So yeah, you're, you're working with some really fun athletes there who are at a really high level. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting place to be because we, you know, have folks that are training to qualify for the Olympic trials to folks that, you know, really just want to get out and do their first 5k. So it's a, it's a fun mix to, to help. So something here for everybody that yeah. we can tie in today. And before we go more into those specifics, talk about what you enjoy as a runner and, and what brings you to the sport. Sometimes I think you and I, when we run together, have some nice, more like esoteric discussion <laughs> of life and running and, and some of the yeah. beauty behind yeah. it. And so what's the sport mean to you? And maybe uh, what might be up next in your training? Sure. Yeah. Um, so really, well, what does the sport mean? It's, it's kind of a philosophy more so than like racing of you know, the racing's fun, but the, the day to day getting out there, whether, you know, I was out with some friends this morning and enjoying the, well, we were out early. So the stars were still in the sky and yeah. just enjoying the morning or, you know, whether we've shared miles just in beautiful weather or just getting out on the trails and kind of exploring around. So it's the racing's fun, but that's just the icing on the cake. It's more just getting together with friends and, seeing the world really yeah um so what what's next for me really i'm a little anxious i got shut in coming this weekend which i haven't done since 2008 um it's a trail race up outside of Asheville, but i'm coming off of a somewhat disappointing marathon performance about a month ago Did now the... phil i'm gonna interject because we have a rule here on the show okay and that is you can never be disappointed in a pr so well that's where the queen comes in those <laughs> last mile or two of that race i was cursing her for that extra little distance and so while you may have wanted a little more that's it was true. still an improvement yes and and so that's exciting progress it's progress <laughs> and that was where uh the new river marathon which small marathon outside of uh boone but highly recommended it was relatively flat with a few hills um, I think maybe 200 folks did it. So it was relatively small, but man, it was pretty up there. The leaves were changing. The, the course just rolled along the banks of the new river, very low traffic. It was, I'd do it again. Cool. That's great to hear. Yeah. Uh, for folks who are not familiar with, with shut in, uh, this is one of the great trail races on the East coast. Yeah. It's got some history to it. It's a great challenge. I think this is the 42nd. That running? sounds correct. Yeah. 41st, 42nd. The history of the trail itself is yeah. is beautiful. The story of this is the trail that connected the Vanderbilt home at the Biltmore yep. with their hunting lodge up in the mountains. And so you are almost continuously climbing yeah. on this. I think it's a little under 18 miles and something like 3,000 feet of climbing. So there's a, a bit of climbing. Most folks would say that that 18 miles translates roughly to your marathon yeah, time. That's what they advertise, and that seems to hold pretty true. If you want to see some uh, some cool video just of the trail, not the race, but of the trail, Hoka, the shoe brand, Hoka yeah. 1-1, did a, a trail series. It's been a few years ago now where they went across the country to some of the best local trails oh, and just ran cool. there and yeah. took shots. And that stuff's all up on YouTube. So, Or at least it was last I checked. Yeah. So it, that's cool to see. Uh, it's a fun spot. Good luck there. That Thanks. is this weekend. It is. That's yeah. Saturday morning. 10 o'clock, so it's good to sleep in a little bit. Ah, nice to sleep <laughs> in. Yeah, cool. Good. Okay, Phil. So let's then uh, unpack a little more about the work you do and some of the common themes you see sure. that you can help us maybe avoid some things sure. and also grow in other areas. What are the most common elements that you see leading up to injuries and those don't have to be severe injuries yeah. it could be the nicks that keep us out for a few days but what are some commonalities there so really probably the, the number one commonality is transitions you know folks that start introducing workouts or training plans that they are new to or don't have experience with you know maybe they've they're coming out of a, a season of base training but are, are jumping into race preparation training but that are bumping mileage at the same time as they're adding workouts mm, yep so it, it's adding workouts that they're not used to. It's transitioned sometimes with footwear. You know, the past decade has been kind of a pendulum swinging back and forth between the minimalist and maximalist. So as folks sometimes experiment with that, they make pretty drastic changes pretty quickly. So not allowing for really the, the body to effectively adapt to those transitions. 
you know, I think a lot of what gets talked about as far as running training relates to like building fitness, you know, as it relates to like cardiovascular fitness. So, you know, you got your long runs, your, your threshold runs, your VO2 max workouts, that kind of thing. Um, but the, the area that doesn't seem to get enough play is really more the, the musculoskeletal and the neuromuscular component that, that is involved with training. Um, and it, it's easy to talk about, uh, you know, the, the cardiovascular training and, and really, regardless of our age, our body responds pretty quickly to that training. But structurally, those uh, training adaptations occur on a little bit slower timeline. So it's often that our, that our cardiovascular fitness gets ahead of the fitness of our, of our tissues, our, our bones, yeah. ligaments, muscles, joints, that sort of thing. So when that gets out of line, then, you know, something, something's got to give. Boy, there's so much there to peel back. I, I yeah. love some points you made. I'll narrow down to a few. I'd sure. like to go into more. One is on the just the broader topic of transitions. You made a point that we've echoed here about elevating volume at the same time you introduce workouts yeah. and the risk you're taking there. You did say something about trying new workouts as often in a transition phase where you can have difficulty. I am a firm believer in writing training that the type of workout you haven't done can often be what you need most. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So for the, for the listener who is transitioning, whether it's in phases of cycles of their training for a race or just doing something totally new, any thoughts, any recommendations on best practices for incorporating those new workouts safely? Really, my first one would be to, to extend that timeline a little bit longer. You know, if we think about like our traditional workouts, let's say, you know, a 10 to 12 by 400 for somebody that's racing a, a 5K or a 10K, you know, instead of coming off of a base phase and just jumping into a workout like that, spending two, three weeks where you're doing six by 400 and then eight by 400 and paying attention to how you, how you recover from that versus forcing that, that 10 by 400 or like a traditional, you know, 20 minute threshold run that you see a lot of high school programs do, you know, instead of the end of your summer training, just jumping into a workout like that, spend a week of 12 to 15 minutes of threshold or, you know, do say two sets of 10 minutes. Yeah. Four by five. Yeah. Just kind of break it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So just know what you ideally are working towards, kind of break that down over a couple of weeks and, and, and ease into it versus jumping into those, that full workout like that a lot. What about the transition after a race? I think we make a lot of mistakes here because whether the race, particularly a long race, whether it went well or poorly, we're equally motivated to get back at it in both situations. (laughs) No, I'm I'm as guilty as that as anybody. And really it's, you know, if off of a good race, you're excited. It's like, okay, I'm ready to take that next step. And you're, you're motivated, but you know, that, doesn't pay attention to what your body needs to recover. And conversely, if coming off of a disappointing race, it's like, okay, here's, here's what I did for that cycle. And you know, now I need to do more where really what you need to do after that race is take some time and just, just recover. You know, there, there's kind of a benchmark that, you know, for each mile race, you do a day easy, you know, so for a marathon, that's, you know, really three weeks of just easy running for a 10 K that's a week of easy running. You know, there's no real data behind that, but really that's a pretty good rule of thumb to really just pace yourself and kind of hold the reins so that, that we don't get overextended. Or it could be time off in there too, yeah, right? And absolutely. often that's the one that we, at some point, you get to a place where you need to just reset. Yeah, absolutely. Benji sent me an article today that was fantastic. We've had uh, Joe Klecker, Olympian, yes. mm-hmm. 10,000 yep. meters, great uh, cross-country runner in college at Colorado on the program. Wonderful guy. Huge fans. Uh, his dad, Barney Klecker, was a great ultra-marathoner. Yes. His what, mom, held a 50-mile world record th- That's right. Point? He was a record holder there. Yeah. His uh, Joe's mom, Barney's wife, was yep. a, a great marathoner as well. And in the article, it was Barney discussing how he coached his wife. And in a meeting with Arthur Lydiard, okay. for those unfamiliar, I know you know his stuff well, Phil. Uh, Arthur Lydiard is uh, one of the great thinkers of distance training of all time. And a lot of modern training incorporates some uh, of Lydiard's principles. Mm-hmm. One of the great bellwether thinkers in distance training. And Barney Klecker asked 
Arthur Lydiard, what do what should I change in the training? Paraphrasing here, I'm sure Benji will text me momentarily and correct me. <laughs> uh, Lydiard's response was nothing. She keeps running PRs, doesn't she? And there's a beauty to yeah. that that we do need to do things better. We do need to be aware of incorporating the things that we maybe haven't done before or our weaknesses. We're often afraid of our weaknesses, but they should probably still be in a framework that we know is successful. And I think we get stuck in in this thought process of, you know, if it's a six-week training cycle or a 16-week training cycle, that that's where we focus versus thinking of this as a... You know, where am I going to be next year? Where am I going to yeah. be two years down the road? Where am I going to be 20 years down the road? Um, yeah. And you know, those those investments compound. That one's spot on, Phil. That's one that I've been working with now coming back from an injury yeah. and just saying to myself, as I look at potential races down the road, I'm going to get to a place where I feel fit and comfortable with the work I've done and then sign up for a yep. race that fits into where I am rather than forcing yep. back because there's something I, I want to run. And and that's, I'm sure, something our audience has experienced. I signed up for this, and that creates great motivation. Yeah. But it might not be the time horizon that's best for you as a runner, particularly with your health. Yeah. Well, and really, I, I, I like the concept of what I would call the basic week, where it's like, what's the week that I can repeat week after week after week that you know, ignoring any race calendar on the schedule, ignoring any stresses from outside of life. But, you know, what's the one, what's the sequence of runs, sequence of workouts through the week that I can do, you know, indefinitely and getting to that point where you're ingrained with that basic week and you're repeating it over and over. And then using that as kind of a launching pad into a training cycle for whatever your goal is, whether that's a 5k or a 10k. So build up to that kind of basic week and then come off of that into whatever training you're targeting for your race. I love this. We're going to go off on a tangent right now, Phil. Because <laughs> I expected we would. I know, yeah, right? This is uh, par for the course for That's us. Right. Uh, we've probably talked about the basic week concept before on a run, you and I. Yeah. But I don't believe we've ever said, what would that look like for uh, you? Are you willing to yeah. say yours? Because I'll come up with one that I think I would go with. Yeah. Um, what might it be for you that you would go to that point and then repeat it and say, okay, now I have the fundamental fitness principles yep. that I can I can start the real training. Yeah. I am – I'm fit enough to get fit. Yep. Right? Yep. No, that's a good way to think of it. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think – you know, looking at it through the week, uh, you know, my Monday run is always just an easy, like four miles. A lot of times a dog comes with me and I, I run with our friend of the show, Dean. Yeah. Um, local legend. I, that's right. Let's just say, it. uh, and then Tuesday and Wednesday will be kind of a, a medium run. One of those days will be a workout, but usually nothing too straining, something like our, you know, typical 20 minute threshold run. Yeah. Um, and then Thursday is sometimes a day off, sometimes just an easy 30 minute shuffle. And then Friday, there's a, a group of us that meets oh, yeah. and runs Paris Mountain. So when I'm running that comfortably, then I know that the fitness is coming along. That's um, a big boy right there. Uh, for s- folks who aren't local, describe what that run yeah, so approximately looks like. The, it's a run here in town um, up, well, Paris Mountain, obviously. But it, yeah. it, total, it's about five and a half miles, a little bit more. And there's about a two-mile climb of just under 1,000 feet. Yeah. Um, and... On a good day, we're running that around 20 minutes or so. You know, if somebody's sore or we're a little slow, we might be a little bit slower than that. But round trip, it takes about 45 minutes. So I think of it as kind of a strength run. If we're pushing it, it fits more like a threshold run, you know, because yeah. we got that 20 minutes yeah. of You can of be more than one. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so it's it's just a great run that we've been doing for, gosh, a couple of years. One of the guys that does it with us has been doing it every week for a decade. That's fantastic. Um, so You've been pretty locked into every Friday on that. Just about, yeah, yeah. just about. And um, then what would your uh, yeah, excuse so, me, what would your weekend look yeah, like? So the weekend, um, usually one day will be about an hour. I'll take my little girl out in the jogging stroller. Again, yeah. getting back to the philosophy of running, it's not just training to race, but just training to enjoy the time out there. Yeah. And then another other day will be a, a longer run, so ninety minutes to two hours. Yeah. So when that. I think that when I get that cycle repeating, that I'm in a good place to to launch off into you know whatever training cycle I want to jump into. 
Yeah, I like. What's yours? Well, I like that framework a lot. Yeah. If to stay within it, because essentially you have two quality sessions mm-hmm. and a longer run. Yep. Mine I had in mind might have been one quality session in a long run. I'm not sure, but I'll go with your uh, foundation of two quality sessions. I would probably be thinking about a, a long run that's, to me, two hours is like a bread and butter yeah, for me. Yeah. And so I'm doing that either on Saturday or Sunday. And then accordingly, let's just say for the sake of this that I'm doing it on Sunday. The sessions leading up to it probably would be like Tuesday and Friday. So okay. that would fit with yeah. similar to what you're saying. Yep. One of them is going to be hills. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't do the Paris Mountain thing like you do. I'd, I'd love to at least do it once. Yes. It is fun. I've gone up and over, but uh, I'd love to join your group once. Uh, but yeah, some sort of hill repeat session would definitely be one. And then I think my other one, you mentioned the 20-minute uh, threshold as a possibility for you. I would probably do what I think is my favorite the best and the most difficult construction of the 20 minute tempo run. <laughs> and that's the Mona Fartlek. I, I would go, okay. I'd go Mona Getty. Yeah. Um, that is broken down in detail here in our, a series of episodes we did on workouts we love. Yep. And we went through alternations and progressions and Fartlek. And so there's actually a three part yep. series and we go through the Mona Getty Fartlek at 20 minutes of alternating pace to really create a threshold type impact. And it doesn't burn you up too much yeah. because it's relatively short. And then I would fill miles around that. Yeah. yeah. So fairly similar yep. to what you said there. One last point to go to your original statement. You talked about how in transition, we might not be ready, like the tissue stuff, the neuromuscular stuff. When we had Dan King on, the uh, master's miler, he and I talked through this scenario of essentially building this big aerobic base where the engine is almost too big for the car. Yeah, Yeah. So I'm thinking about ways to avoid that within the transition. Our strides, our short hill sprints, some ways that we could avoid the flaws of the transition that might lead to injury, are there other ways we might be able to mitigate against that? Yeah, so, well, I think your analogy of the the engine in a car is, is really spot on, that, you know, we, we spend a ton of focus on the workouts trying to build that engine, but... The we're not addressing the chassis aspect. Mm-hmm. So I think one thing that you've talked about with, with some of the previous episodes is touching on all speeds on a pretty regular basis. You know, everything from, you know, strides that are done virtually all out to 5K pace to 10K pace to marathon pace. So incorporating in that basic week some level where you're touching on all, all aspects of that because and really from a simplified version, I think strides are my bread and butter number one drill to address a lot of this because that, you know, especially the post-collegiate runner and not, you know, not the fast post-collegiate runner, but anybody that's, you know, 25 to 70, it's easy to get in this habit that we just go out and do the same, same run, same workout, same pace where, you know, that's comfortable and we enjoy that. But beyond just the cardiovascular demands, that's only putting one movement pattern really onto our, our mm-hmm. system. Uh, whereas the the strides force us to, and what we're talking about is basically just a you know, 20 to 30 second effort that's not quite a all out sprint, but pretty close. But that forces us through greater ranges of motion, that forces us through shorter ground contact times, mm-hmm. that forces us through uh, greater impact forces, so greater greater force production out yeah. of our, our limbs. Rate of force um, development. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, and it, it's a relatively low-impact way to, to hit a lot of those things. And also, if we think about this from the, the brain perspective of controlling movement, our brain learns how to make those movement patterns more efficient the more we practice them. So, you know, initially that goes from a, a drill that just feels awkward and funky to something where you feel much more fluid and springy and elastic. So I think really the runners I work with that aren't doing strides, that's the number one drill that we we introduce because it hits so many uh, targets really efficiently. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't beat you up. You know, it's maybe not something you do the day after a, a workout, but 
you know, any, you can do it during long runs. You can do it during just a, a medium run. Um, you can do it at the end of an easy run, but it doesn't take a, a ton of recovery to, to come back from yeah. either. Yeah. Not only does it not take a lot of recovery, but it can actually lead to uh, more appropriate muscle tension going into a harder Absolutely. effort the following day. I love the way you describe those, Phil. I think that was a great explanation of what a stride looks like and what it does for your body. Feels like a natural bridge here to some injury reduction strategies. We can't totally eliminate the risk of injury anytime we're pushing ourselves yeah, to, yeah. to be great. Yeah. So what are some techniques that you like to employ? Oh, that's, man, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> number one is go to bed. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I love I it. I think that doesn't really get enough play. And it's something that particularly is those of us that are juggling jobs and kids and right. whatever that you know, the only place to find time to run is to cut hours of our sleep. But, you know, that's that's kind of really number one from an injury prevention standpoint. Uh, you know, there's really some good data on folks that sleep less than seven hours a night that their injury rates are 1.4 plus times higher. Mm. And sleep's when your body rebuilds itself. It's when you get that hormone release that helps you recover. It's when those tissues that were damaged during the workout rebuild. So that's when you really absorb the the work that's done. You know, I think number two is probably nutrition. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be boring here because I'm going to touch the, the big rocks, but I think that gets a little, these things get not enough coverage as we get into the nuts and bolts of, of running workouts and strength routines and that kind of thing. But you know, the nutrition is where, you know, those building blocks to recover come from. And really, as it relates to older runners, the protein is somewhat underrated as well. Yeah. Um, you know, in our standard American diet, people get more than enough protein. But as it relates to those of us that are pursuing performance and fitness, sometimes the protein that gets neglected. And as well, fueling before workouts, fueling after workouts, making sure that there's enough uh energy on board so that this car, even though you got a strong engine and you're building the chassis that you have fuel to fuel to run on. And especially as we get into some specific injuries like stress fractures and bone stress injuries, you know, it, it's not just the nutrition from the calcium and vitamin D perspective, but it's also just getting enough carbohydrates so that your your body has the fuel to run and it's not pulling pulling nutrients from your well, really from your bones. So I think those those are really kind of my three big rocks, you know, And beyond that is especially as it relates to, you know, I, I'm thinking of the the thirty and above runner now is the strength training, and you know we can talk about some specifics in a little bit if you want yeah. to, but just in general, incorporating some amount of strength training uh, as part of your routine. And, and you know, I'm just as guilty of anybody that you know I just want to go run I'm like yeah. that that checks my box from a a fitness perspective from a enjoyment perspective, but uh, the strength training is where we really build the the capacity of our tendons of our muscles to absorb the impact forces that we see with running. But as well as we you know, get into you know thirty and above, you start to lose muscle mass. And as we think about you know what type of runner do I want to be at, at 50, 60, 70, 80, you know that's those characteristics are important and, and strength training is really how we how we get there i want you to speak for yourself on that phil i've been at the <laughs> y getting absolutely shredded recently i don't know if you can tell we will get into some specific strength training stuff next because i i like to to dive into that more the stuff on on sleep though is brilliant it's, it's just so critical i firmly believe that when asked what can help you improve as a runner outside of running yeah. Sleep is the next variable. Yeah, go to bed. It's, yes, go to bed. And uh, and then quality of sleep factors play into yeah. it too. You know, what's our exposure to blue light right before bed? Those kind yep. of things. Uh, that's great. The nutrition point uh, to some degree runs counter to the uh, Benjamin theory of it doesn't matter what I put into the fire. It's burning hot, so it's going to burn through it. <laughs> like that, the taquitos that have green stuff in them that are in the, the fridge that he uh, is famous for? Those taquitos, yes. Man, it might still be around. <laughs> it, but yeah, it, he may have a little bit of a point to some degree with younger athletes. Yeah. But uh, you're right. Post-collegiate, uh, the – 
more advanced you become in age, the more critical it becomes. Agreed? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. Strength training. I am a proponent of, of functional strength training first, and we've gone through a little bit of that here before. I also think there is a place for low rep heavyweight strength absolutely. training. yep. Maybe a few of your favorites that you prescribe as directly related to not just making someone more explosive as yeah. a runner, but keeping him or her healthy and enjoying running. Yeah. So I, I guess I'd start thinking about the, the person that's never done it before or that doesn't necessarily have access to a gym of things that we can do at home. If body weight work can be effective, you know, simple things of just body weight squats, body weight lunges, step ups fit in there where you know, if you have a, a chair or something like that, you're just stepping up onto a high surface. So that, that's kind of where I would, I would start from just the basic perspective and kind of, and just learning those movements. Uh, you know, especially if we take somebody that, that hasn't done any strength training um, and that's mostly just run for fitness, just introducing those movement patterns is an effective training stimulus because they're going through ranges of motion. They don't necessarily experience with the running pattern or with their day-to-day -day routine. Um, and also there are benefits even just from those simple exercises of improving the, the muscular coordination. So how yeah. the, the bodies or excuse me, the muscles of the leg work, work together. You know, from there kind of moving into what will be the next step of equipment or exercises, you know, even Keeping it simple, you know, keeping this to where it's something that you are going to do. If you want to go to a gym, great. But, you know, most importantly, is just do it. Um, yeah. So things that you could do at home uh, would be, you know, with, with simple dumbbells or kettlebells. So the same thing, just making those exercises a little more challenging where, you know, for runners, I'm a huge fan of single leg deadlifts yeah. where, you're, where you're standing on one leg and basically lowering a foot or excuse me, lowering a weight to the floor of Bulgarian split squats where it's a lunge, but where that back leg is, is on an elevated surface, whether that's a weight bench or a chair at home, you can add a kettlebell or a dumbbell that you're holding onto there. Mini bands are a great tool, just thick rubber bands, essentially doing band walks where you have it around your ankles, walking sideways or walking forward and back, you know, stability ball is a decent tool that doesn't take up too much space and doing, doing hamstring curls with that. That would kind of be what I would think of as the next level of, okay, I've been doing a basic body weight routine and now I'm ready to get some equipment and I've been consistent. So that's kind of where I would go next. And then beyond that, it is looking at more specific weight room exercises. And it, it's, it's really the basics. It's squatting, it's doing lunges, it's doing deadlifts. The one exercise that I do highlight really for, again, that post-collegiate runner would be calf raises. Um yeah, as we get older, that's where we see a lot of running injuries and the, mm. the Achilles and the, the calf complex. Yeah. And that's one area, you know, much like shoes have gone through a you know, pendulum over the past decade. Strength training has done the same going from a, you know, an isolated bodybuilding type focus to a, a functional strength type focus to now we're looking at, okay, where do we really need to focus on isolation exercises? And, you know, I think calf raises absolutely fit into that boat of where you know just standing on one foot on the edge of a step just raising up and down that's one that i would include from an isolation standpoint really everybody should be doing i feel like i'm rambling <laughs> no, no, <laughs> ask that's me a good. question <laughs> <laughs> well the themes i heard there even though you mentioned an isolated um muscle group exercise at the end with the calf work the themes that i took away were one a lot of compound motions yeah like your split squats, like your, your deadlifts two single leg emphasis, yep. because at, at its core running is a series a leg activity. of yeah. jumps onto a single leg and you're bringing down a lot of impact. Yep. And then three working planes of motion yep. that we don't while just running, we do a lot of straight ahead stuff and you're talking about the band work yep. that's hitting the side. Let's move sideways. Let's move backwards. Let's move, you know, in a rotational pattern. Yeah. Just get outside of that straight ahead motion that we constantly see with running. Yeah. 
That's great. What about other cross-training modalities? How do you use those? I like a supplement of swimming as a low impact and and really a relatively good aerobic cardio exercise. And it's something that I enjoy. And I think that's a key piece on cross-training is enjoyment. I don't like riding my bike. I sold my bike, <laughs> I, you know, but I don't mind getting on a rowing machine. Yeah. Swimming, yoga, those are things I enjoy. And I think that's significant. Absolutely. Uh, but how do you use cross-training modalities maybe within your own running? Yeah. So uh, number one, I think is as far as building into training, it's what you enjoy. All of those activities will help develop that cardiovascular engine. Yeah saving the the impact and the loading that we see with running um you know at at the end of the day mileage mileage matters so if you can handle higher mileage i I think that's where the focus needs to be rather than other cardiovascular training but to a point absolutely absolutely we can go over an edge but i do agree with you phil that you improve as a runner by running yep yeah. Um, but those are fantastic tools to add to your overall training load while sh- sparing the, the impact that we get with running. Um, and even, you know, treating some of those exercises as an easy day. So, you know, yeah. swimming and cycling are great flush out type activities after a long workout or, or, you know, a hard day coming around the next day and doing something like that rather than going out for an easy run. Yeah. Uh, I think there's absolutely a place for that. Yeah. So. To the point you bring up about mileage mattering and the ability to put in more volume to a certain extent generally is productive in your development as a distance runner. And then the ability to do that consistently over time and maintain it. But there is certainly a ceiling to that. There's a ceiling. But uh, to flip that, what's the connection between running more within – if you don't push through the ceiling – as it relates to likelihood you get injured. Because my instinct, as well as some of the stuff I've read mm-hmm. and research, you're one of the only guys that I run with that also reads research case studies where I can actually talk about these <laughs> things with you on a run. You know, like nobody else is getting into the scientific journals and with nobody's me. Nobody's excited to run with us anymore after they hear that. <laughs> right. no, those guys are boring. <laughs> if everyone listening right now could see the way I am gesticulating with enthusiasm uh, excited, yes. about scientific literature <laughs> in the exercise physiology space but you dive into that stuff too and so i know you've read here at some point yeah it appears that running more actually is an injury risk reduction mechanism yes. yep. you want to expand a little bit on that yeah so there, there seems to be you know from a mileage standpoint there's once we get up to about 55 miles a week then kind of the the benefit to the improved efficiency and improved economy uh, tapers off. Um, So, uh, you know, of course you see pros that are running 100, 120, 140 mile weeks, but they have the rest of the day to go to bed. Yeah. Whereas the rest of us don't. I'll add here, Phil, to that. You also see a lot of the research suggesting that somewhere in that range, you said that 50 to 60 mile per week, the place where we see more benefit in doubling beyond that point and breaking it up into more actual sessions per week. Absolutely. Um, Because that one, it reduces risk again, but it also allows more time on feet just it's more introduction of this stimulus. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and really it, it teaches your body to handle that load. We'll descend to another tangent now, but I don't know Please. if you saw the, uh, the last dance documentary with the bulls this past, well, I guess a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, and they interviewed Alvar Meal, who was the strength coach of mm-hmm. the bulls in the early nineties. And really he was one of the fathers of strength and conditioning, um, in pro sports. And, you know, he talked about how much being in the weight room, the hard practices and the, just the load that those guys were going, you know, not just in the games, but in the, the preseason and the off season between games prepared them to handle that 82 game season and prepared really those guys to come out game after game. Whereas, you know, we're kind of seeing a little bit of a pendulum now in the NBA and really with athletics in general yeah. of this load management concept that to some degree is backfiring and that you, you have to be – your tissues have to be prepared for the demands of 
the the activity. Are we it's, exposing you to yeah. the rigors and stresses yep. that are going to happen in this case during your running? Yeah. And so to a degree, that's where, you know, mileage comes in. Yeah. Um, but again, it, it all comes back to what, what load can you handle, you know, not just with running, but with the rest of your life. That mileage number is relative yes. to what, when, when Phil speaks to increasing it to the ceiling, everyone's ceiling is different based on their training experience, yep. right? And perhaps past injury experience as well. Well, and I would say even beyond that, based on the other freedom in their, in the rest of their day. Yeah. You know, so are, are they able to sleep eight hours a night or, you know, are they getting six hours a night and with interrupted sleep with a stressful job and, you know, relationship issues or, or what have you, all of that extra stress is considered training stress. You have to be able to absorb that beyond just, you know, specific mileage number. So if I write, write training for you, Phil, I am to some degree dictating what's happening for you for an hour to two hours per day. Yep. And your point is what happens in the other 22 to 23 hours is just as significant. Absolutely. To your point you made about the bulls, another example I would use that I think is great of a high overall load, but not a high specific load, yes. maybe. You know, doing all these other supplementals in addition to doing a lot of your activity. I was just drawn to the example of Jerry Rice, former mm -hmm. professional football player, the wide receiver from the San yep. Francisco 49ers, one of the greatest players of all time. He is one of the central case studies in the book. I believe it's Jeff Colvin is the author uh, from Fortune Magazine, the editor of Talent is Overrated, okay. a, a relatively famous look into um, a study of the concept of deliberate practice, yep. right? Rather than just practice something, right. what is deliberate practice? And in athletics, we tend to do that better than in other fields. Yep. The Jerry Rice case study is incredibly telling because it was a rigorous off season that he put in, you know, these wind sprints uphill in the sand and, and the running and the weightlifting and other athletes in the NFL, high level athletes would come to work out with him and couldn't even make it through a day. Yeah. And he was doing it all summer. Well, what he realized was I do have a, a kind of a cap on my speed that might not i'm working to improve it but it might not be as good as everybody else i need to exploit my strengths right make them as good as i can make them i need to be the best route runner i need to be the most durable i want to be able to resist fatigue more than everyone else so that in the fourth quarter i can hang on yeah. even though football is a game of bursts of five maybe ten seconds at the most they add up yes and I start thinking about these elements and that resistance to fatigue and that overall strength, that global strength. Those are things that can buttress your running as well. Absolutely. Right? So that – go back and look at his career. I'm not sure how many years he played, but he played a lot of games and was really healthy for the better part of two decades. Was he 40 when he retired? He had to have been close. Yeah. I want to say he came into the league in maybe 85 Okay. For his draft. I could call right now a friend of the show, my man JR, who's like, he's just totally into Jerry Rice. Like, <laughs> harkening back to our childhood, he still talks about him. He came in in 85 and he played well into the 2000s. Yeah. I, I don't know what year, but he was on those great 49ers teams through the 80s and 90s. Bringing it back to the topic now. <laughs> uh, that just amount of work you put in, exposure to that stuff, actually, if done right, can help make you more durable and Absolutely. less susceptible well, to injury. And that's kind of what we've talked about so far. That's the that's the strength training, that's the variety of workouts, that's the other cardiovascular training allows you to to build that structure to handle the running. Yeah. Phil, what I want to do is get into some specific injuries, but we're up against the clock here, so we're going to do this again at some point okay. if you're willing to come yeah. back. Because I think this has been Absolutely. a wonderful conversation and appreciate. I feel like all the discussions we've had on sharing miles together, I thought we had been through it all. <laughs> of like all this stuff that you tell me that I learn from you all the time and I'm learning more tonight. And so I love that. And well, we need to bring this fancy microphone on the road. <laughs> right. If I can just carry that with me and we'll turn this into a vlog yeah. and just put it on YouTube, me and you running together. 
So we'll come back and at some point in the future, we'll get into some of the really common injury stuff, the uh, the IT band issues, the shin splints, yep. the stress fractures, yep. and maybe dive into those a little more. Does that sounds sound good? good? Yeah, no, that sounds great. All right, good. Because before I let you go, we got to get through the bell lap. It's lightning round time. <laughs> okay, I haven't been able to do this with a guest in a little while. And I'm tired. I might be slow. We're overdue <laughs> for this. So they're coming at you quick. Okay. All right. Just trust your gut here. Okay. You ready? Let's go. Okay. Favorite place to run? DuPont. All right. DuPont State Forest, Western North Carolina. Yep. 80 miles of single track. Yeah. Paradise. Awesome. And as With I've said- swim in Fawn Lake at the end. Yes. That's your, that's your move. <laughs> that's right. Uh, as I've mentioned here several times, I think, on the podcast, also the site of some of the filming of the great movie Last of the Mohicans. That's right. Some of the beautiful scenes were shot there. Favorite race you've done? I know that's hard, but- Let's narrow it down. Ooh. Uh, Sally Frosty Foot. It's a race outside of Bryson City, North Carolina. Um, a good friend of mine, Aaron Saft, has put that on yeah. for several years. And it's the 30K version. They have a 50K. They have an 8-miler. But it's through just some really buttery single track right along the banks of Lake Fontana. Awesome. Uh, it's always cold. It's in January. But favorite race yeah doing that this year coming up you expect yep. yep is aaron doing shut-in do you know i don't okay good trail runner he's very good, good yeah trail runner. yeah good guy too the race you most want to do that you have not completed oh boston no boston question. is number one <laughs> not even close no okay so is there a number two like is there something else that if if boston's out of it you get to do boston you're headed there you're Ooh. gonna get there phil i i just made a guarantee on <laughs> international radio let's see Either the Big Sur Marathon. Yeah, cool. Or, and this sounds in my head much more fun than probably the actuality of it, <laughs> but Western States. Yeah, Western States would be on my list. Yeah. The thing holding me back, not just is ability level and, and you know, completing that really yeah. challenging run. It's all the work of the years you might have to run yes. hundreds to stay in the to lottery, in the lottery. Yep. because it's so much more difficult to get yes. in now. And I know I'm not good enough to get a golden ticket anywhere. <laughs> Uh, so well, yeah. I feel like I would enjoy four hours of that. Yes, the other twenty plus, but probably <laughs> less so. It's just like we said. What do you do in the other twenty-two hours? That's right. Of course, it might get old, especially depending on the weather there yep. in the summer. What you're getting into, but that would be unless you're just sacrificing so much of your career potentially yeah. if you want to do shorter events yep. at a high level. Okay, good list. Give me the one, or maybe two, or even possibly three. Okay must read favorite running books you and i are always talking about what we're reading oh must read one thing i love about our conversation running specific now yeah what's at the top of your list that you say gotta read it you put me on the spot that's what the bell lap does the bell lap it's the moment of truth all right (laughs) um, the system is flooded with the acidity i got 400 meters to kick it home so let's go number one once a runner yeah once a runner great and the version before they re-released it, when the copy that I stole from a college friend was valued at like 300 and something dollars, <laughs> now it is worth like $2. But yep. Dave Goldberg, if you're listening, I'm sorry I still have that. Um, I didn't mean to steal it, but it was too good. Dave's uh, listening. There's no question. That's right. Uh, man, number two on the book list is Joe Henderson's, and I'm probably going to butcher the topic, but it is, I want to say Run Long, Run Forever. Okay. It is follow-up to Long, Slow Distance. Joe Henderson used to be the editor of Runner's World. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting back to the philosophy of running, he is – I think he's a master and really underrated. He really didn't get a lot of you – know, he did a great job at Runner's World, but his books really haven't gotten much publicity. That's cool. – I think that's up there. That's a nice hidden gem. Yeah. Okay. Um, and number three, if you want to go to three. Man. As soon as I get home and look at my bookshelf, I'll regret that All I didn't right, tell you I this. But I, I, I mean, let's go with those two. Okay, we'll cap it there. Yeah. You can always call into the program in the future <laughs> if you'd like to add I'm a third. Those choices. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you eat for dinner the night before a race? Ooh, spaghetti. Definitely. Uh, we put in sauce on that. You're a oh, red sauce meat guy. Sauce, yeah. Meat sauce. Add a boy. Okay. You grating a little cheese on there? Maybe a little Just parmesan? Some pizza snow. Yeah. The, uh, I like the green it. top. Parmesan cheese. It's got a little bit of plant cellulose in it, too. It's not real cheese. It's delicious. (laughs) Uh, If you were not a PT, what might you be doing with your life, Phil? Oh, my goodness. I have no idea. 
No, if I could have written my career, I this am is doing it. it. This is uh, it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to rewind that in, in case someday in the future. I don't, <laughs> don't want to say you're getting fired or anything, but just remember that. Sometimes life changes. That's right. Uh, your favorite vacation spot? Ooh. Iceland. Oh. Yeah. Great pick. So my wife and I went there for our honeymoon. Yeah. Um, and when we were looking at plans, we originally discussed New Zealand. Yeah, that'd be uh, fun. And as we were looking at it, it's like, okay, that's a long trip. It'd be wintertime. And, yeah. and so I was in the bookstore one day and saw a headline of in a magazine of Iceland, the next New Zealand. And I bring it back to my fiance at the time. And I was like, what do you think about going to Iceland for our honeymoon? And she gave me a look that I've gotten many times in the past yep. 10 plus years. Get used to like, that. You're an you? idiot. Yeah. Yep. I was like, no, no. It's like, look, it's everything we want to do. And oh, it's beautiful country. I've heard that time and again. Yeah. That it's a great spot. And then we'll close with the one that matters most. Okay. Rank them in order. It's breakfast time. Ooh. You're hungry. You're chowing down on pancakes, waffles, or French toast in order. What's the ranking? Pancakes number one, hands down. Okay. Occasionally with some blueberries, occasionally with chocolate chips. There's nothing wrong with that. The daughter likes Mickey Mouse ones. Yeah. Those are fun. So do I. Better say French toast number two. Yes. After the Sunday long run, my wife and I constantly argue if we're going to have French toast or pancakes. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, And Three or waffles. Yeah. They require a waffle maker, and that takes up space in the kitchen. It does. So. Yeah. I, I go waffles three as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm more of a French toast guy first. I do okay. love I do love a good pancake, though, too. That's that's a good list. Phil, you're off the hot seat. Bell laps <laughs> over. We can just go back to running miles together and talking about books. That's right. Uh, Living the dream. This has been a lot of fun, man. And I look forward to uh, doing it again with some more specifics. But I think you provided a ton of great information that can make everybody a happier, healthier runner. And Excellent. That's why we're here. This has been mile 99 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. You know what that means, Bill? Next one's 100. We're going into triple digits, buddy. <laughs> that also means I think I guaranteed a while back that I would make sure I ran a 100-mile week for, for episode 100. Okay. The timing on this was really poor because yeah, like you in, plan that well. in normal marathon training, I would say, okay, I can yeah. do that easy. Yeah. Well, I'm coming off an injury. <laughs> Not really a running injury either. Well, we've talked about this today. I wouldn't suggest that. Yeah, and so you told me. That's what I was going to say. You told me <laughs> not to do these heavy transitions. Right. I think I ran like 20 miles last week, and uh, we'll bump that up a little bit this week. And then it looks like I'm going to 100 uh, next week, and then I will be broken, and we'll bring you back in see me. <laughs> to do the injury specifics. Everybody enjoy the New York City Marathon. Enjoy beautiful fall weather. Phil, enjoy shut-in. I will. Uh, look forward to hearing how that goes. And we'll see everybody right back here again next time on Mile 100 of Seconds Flat.